I'm Donna Peters, and this is season three of the award-winning Me Sweet podcast. The Me Suite is a community of career-driven, life-minded professionals sharing our stories, sharing what it means to lead our lives with purpose, planning, and power. What I call leading with a Me Suite mindset. Let's get in there. On today's episode of the Me Suite, we have founder and CEO of Hatch Analytics. Her name is Monica Parker. And Monica is an international speaker. She uses data and analytics and social science in predictive behavior and culture change. She is admittedly, self-admittedly, a behavior and culture nerd. And I love her mantra that is, with better work comes a better world. She also has a book coming out in 2022, and it is called Wonder. And we will talk about that in this episode It's probably a little easier for me to talk about the things that Monica doesn't do. That might be a shorter list. I am very excited to have Monica Parker in the Me Suite. Thank you, Donna, so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here today. And thank you for that intro. That was something else. (laughs) I have a clean sheet of paper here because I know that I am going to learn a lot and take a lot of notes. But as (laughs) you know, in the Me Suite, we start with core values. Let's start there. And what are yours and how have they driven key decisions in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is such a fabulous question because I don't know that we think about our own individual core values. Sometimes we look at our businesses more often. For me, first and foremost has to be authenticity. Mm. I am not very good at being someone else. (laughs) And I can't imagine the stress it would take for other people to constantly mask who they are. And so for me, it's really about encouraging people around me to be their whole selves. Mm -hmm. And I've taken that through work because to me, creating an environment of psychological safety for my team for clients that we work with is so important. And so I would say that's definitely at the top. Wonderful. Yeah. Another one is candor. Okay. Which sometimes doesn't, we'll say doesn't translate so well in some cultures I have to work <laughs> in. Um, places like Japan or even the UK, I have to soften some of my bluntness, but I'm really a very, you know, no faff, no subterfuge tell it like it is. Mm -hmm. I really struggle with artifice. I can see straight through it. I have a very highly attuned BS sort of monitor. And Uh so for me, it's got to be, you know, just give me the truth. Wonderful. Autonomy, very, very important. I know this is one of the primary mechanisms for every human for well-being. I started Hatch to have freedom, you know, really first and foremost, the freedom to choose the clients I want to work with, Mm -hmm. the freedom to work wherever and however I want, the freedom to deliver projects that meet my expectation. And so that that degree of autonomy is so personally important to me. And I know it's something that our team values that we give back to them. So that's that's a really you know key piece for everybody to be able to have autonomy to work how they want. I guess probably two more, justice, okay. fairness, mm. you know, mm. the idea of organizational justice. And I think my work with people on death row probably ignited this. Mm. But also when you look at ED and I work, this idea of organizational justice in, in my world, it's much more important to be fair than nice. I'm not actually entirely certain how nice I am, <laughs> um, but I think everybody I work with would say, maybe she's not so nice, but she's very fair. Oh, And, and that's, that's what I'd want. And then the last has to be wonder, ah. which probably trumps all, all else, which is really about having 
a, a super, you know, great openness to experience, a desire to feel and see things, a deep epistemic curiosity mm. and a sense of awe in both big and small things. So really I, that that wonder is is probably the most foundational to to who I am and why I enjoy my life. I love your list. And <laughs> I don't want to go to my originally scheduled programming just yet. I want to riff on something that you said about your work with people on death row. What, yeah. What was that or what is that? Yeah, so in my 20s, after I graduated from university, a lot of people my age went to grad school. They joined the Peace Corps, Mm -hmm. and I became a homicide investigator for the Department of Justice for the state of Florida. And I worked for the defense teams that defended people on Florida's death row. So basically, we looked at ways to exonerate them or at least to have their death sentence commuted. And Mm. so we did that through two different mechanisms. The first was what was called guilt and innocence. So basically, did they not do it? And we would try to prove Mm. that they didn't do it. And then there was um, mitigation. So in most cases, yes, they did commit the crime that they were convicted of. But it was our belief that for a series of uh, mitigating factors, they should not be executed. And in fact, I am staunchly against the death penalty in any context. Mm. And so we would try to understand elements around their background, around things that surrounded the, the crime itself that might convince a judge that their death sentence should be commuted. And so I did that for two years until September 11th, when for a lot of people, the world changed. Mm. And um, and that work really fundamentally changed my perspective. It was when I got interested in this idea of existential resiliency, the kind of resiliency that gets us through massive mm. life-changing difficulty, like being an innocent person on death row. Yeah. And, and I carry that through the work that I do. The environments that people surround themselves matter. We know that when people are put in solitary confinement, it impacts their well-being. The communities we surround ourselves with matter and have an impact on, on the way we behave. And I felt taking that lesson into the workplace environment where we have so little control, so much autonomy has been taken from us. It's not in some ways dissimilar from a prison environment that so mm. much choice is taken. And how can we re-imbue our work environments with choice, with freedom, with, with humanity? Wow. Well, I, I just have chill bumps here. I had no idea this is an angle that our conversation would go, <laughs> and I am thrilled. Sometimes I get asked, what is my favorite podcast? And I usually joke, well, you mean after the me suite? <laughs> but, <laughs> of but, course. Of course. But the truthful answer is my favorite podcast is Wrongful Convictions. Mm. And every single episode is a different interview with somebody who was imprisoned for just an unimaginable length of time wrongly. Some on death row, some not, but just imprisoned wrongly for an, just an ungodly amount of time. And that is my absolute favorite podcast from the interviews with the real life people, the, the, the suffering, the resilience coming out the other side that you described. It's wow. amazing the things that these people say. And this is actually, a, a I have a bit of this in the book about how is it that someone mm-hmm. can leave an experience like that with still a sense of faith and humanity? Mm-hmm. That's part of the thing that amazes me. They say, I don't blame anyone. Wow. I accept where I, you know, I am. I'm just grateful to have another opportunity to live my life. And you think I would be, yeah. I, I'd be irate. I'd be pissed. And these people just managed to to hold it together and to to have a 
you know, that bigger sense of where they fit in the scheme of things. I, I find it really inspiring. Yeah, well, they're better people than I am. And I, I yeah. lear- learned from this this podcast tremendously. So back to my originally scheduled programming. <laughs> I wanted to start with your data analysis and social science expertise. And, and I love the way that you take an analytical approach to something that can often be so squishy, like behavior and culture change. What are the trends that you're now seeing that we as listeners, business professionals, high-performing business professionals can learn from right now? Absolutely. I think one of the main trends is why we are doing so well right now, which is a move towards more data. And I think that one of the things that is always the risk is that we use data to dehumanize people in the workplace. So we say, you're this data set and therefore I'll respond to that. And what we really want is to see data, but a humanization of that data to say Uh this data is a mirror. It's a mechanism for us to hold a mirror up to the business. Mm -hmm. It allows us to say what's happening, but then we use that to anchor our communications to really help us understand how to connect with people. And Uh so I think that that's probably one of the the main trends that I'm seeing is a move towards some of that more evidence-based change decisions. Okay, I love it. I think one of the other ones is something that I am, I I personally call um, wabi-sabi management. So this idea of honoring imperfection, I think we've gone through a time of trying to maximize performance within an inch of its life. Mm. And I think that what COVID has done for us is made us recognize that there are cracks that occur in systems. And if we honor them rather than try to spackle over them, then we get happier people who are more resilient, who are more ethical, who are willing to share their mistakes with their team. Mm. Um, And that vulnerability and that honoring of where things fall down, I'm seeing a lot more of that authenticity, that vulnerability, that honoring of imperfection in organizations. And I think that's sort of like a higher order, we'll say skill for leaders to be able to do that in an authentic way. Another thing that I'm seeing sort of the, I'll, I'll say the the coin, the, the negative side of the coin, which is a very well-intentioned move towards a lot of ED&I work. So a lot of equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion work in the form of anti-bias training. Okay. Anti-bias training does not work. In fact, it can have a negative impact sometimes ah. on creating allies. It can re-entrench people. The challenge is, is that bias is naturally occurring in our brains. It's basically our brains are very efficient. They try to create sort of shortcuts mm. um, to behavior. And so all bias is, is a is a shortcut to behavior. And frequently it's a lazy shortcut and it doesn't always work so well. But anti-bias training tries to shame people out of experiencing bias. Uh-huh. And that just is not how our brains work. What I'm seeing on the positive side is a move towards conscious inclusion training. Okay. So this idea of recognizing what happens in the brain when we in-group and out-group people, Mm. the idea that exclusion occurs in the same place in the brain as physical pain. And so being excluded is painful Mm. and recognizing that and starting to look at ways that we can be more inclusive in our behavior as opposed to trying to kill the bias. And so I'm seeing, thankfully, a shift, a slow shift off of the knee jerk towards anti-bias training and towards something that's much more grounded in research. Love this. Yeah. And then I guess the last is, uh, and it's a bit of a fingers crossed, but goodness, I hope 
that we're moving fully in favor towards flexible working for everyone Mm -hmm. and that it's based finally on evidence as opposed to this, you know, hysteria that businesses would fall down, that they couldn't function if people were given that level of autonomy and flexibility. Now we know businesses don't fall down. We know that the technology holds. We know that in some cases, performance is even higher. And so now we're seeing a maturation of this flexible working approach And my hope is that what comes along with it is greater support for working parents, but in particular working moms, because we just know Mm -hmm. that working moms do put in more labor, about 20 hours extra a week, actually, Mm -hmm. than their male partners if they have a partner, but also looking at greater training around how to teach in a virtual way and how to create operating rhythms within your organization so that you all are able to maximize the time you're together physically in the best way, and then work virtually in the most effective way. Wow. Yeah, this is just a wonderful list. We're going to have this in the show notes in detail for anybody that might be driving or jogging right now and wanting to go back and revisit. I just love everything about it. So I want to switch to your book. And the title of the book is Wonder, but I want to read the subtitle to the listeners because it has a lot of richness in it. It's Wonder the science and soul of our most important emotion and why we need more of it now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So could you please publish it in 2021 instead of 2022? (laughs) Oh, I'll have to talk to Penguin about that. I think they might have something to say, but... (laughs) Well, certainly congratulations on this just enormous achievement and I cannot wait to read it and, and see it take life. But for the listeners right now, why this book, why now? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you so much. I'm I'm still a little overwhelmed um, at the opportunity to be able to write this. It's been something that I've been thinking about for quite a while. The way, and as I mentioned, starting with my work with people on death row, when I moved to Belfast for my graduate degree, I became really interested in post-troubles Belfast and mm. how people manage the change that was happening there. And then my master's degree, I looked at um, different approaches to massive systemic change. So things like sustainability or to massive social change and how we can use our understanding of what happens in the brain during change to be able to manage that, to withstand it. And what kept coming up was this idea of awe. Mm. So the emotion of awe, which is a very unique emotion in that it's duly valenced, meaning most emotions are either positive, you're happy, or they're negative, you're sad. And this is one of these that is duly valenced or even ambivalenced, right? It can be the same at the same time, that they can have positive elements Mm. and negative elements. And this idea that we as a, I think, society, certainly as an American nation, but globally are chasing happiness. And yet we're so bad at actually knowing what makes us happy And we get into what's called a hedonic treadmill in that we're chasing things that make us feel good that Mm. actually have no lasting impact on our resiliency, on our well-being. It's a very quick fix and Mm. we are a quick fix culture. Meanwhile, we've created a world where, you know, you have time to sleep when you're dead. This idea of work hard, play hard, everything is more, more, more Mm. grind culture and Um, productivity porn that I think are really unhealthy roots to what we see as satisfaction. Whereas if we can become more wonder prone, what we're getting from this constellation of traits and states that surround awe is curiosity, healthy curiosity, Mm -hmm. epistemic curiosity, the 
curious for knowledge sake, mm-hmm. openness to experience. And, and we know from research that having greater openness to experience leads to well-being outcomes. It makes us more satisfied, more generous. Looking at flow and how flow states can help us reach a, a certain self-transcendence, so out of our self position. And then what I call the wow and woe of, of awe, this idea of vastness that we experience something that is so big, it makes us feel like a small component part yeah. of a bigger system. And then the woe, this mind blown, I now see the world through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And if that all sounds a bit airy-fairy, I think the easiest way to describe it is what's called the overview effect. So okay. when astronauts go into space, They come back and they are forever changed. And it's not because there's no gravity up there. It's because the action of seeing Earth from space, the overview effect, Mm. fundamentally shifts the lens through which every astronaut sees the world. And so there are ways that we can do that without having to go into space. We can do that by seeing an incredible vista. We can Mm. do that by listening to music in a darkened concert hall, by seeing incredible pieces of art, by witnessing the birth of our child. Mm. These are all things that can create a sense of wonder. And in that, the outcomes are phenomenal. People are more resilient. They want to be a better part of their community. We're finding that with the use of psychedelics, which is like the speed train to awe, Uh that people are finding that they're um, able to be cured from opioid addiction, that their existential uh, depression or fear of death because of terminal illness is gone. It disappears. We find that people have lower inflammatory cytokines after an awe experience, that their incidence of heart disease and diabetes goes down, that they're able to manage PTSD more successfully. And so the outcomes from a a wonder-filled and wonder-driven life are so much more positive than just trying to be happy and certainly more positive than trying to grind, 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 that I feel this is a conversation that hasn't been had yet. Mm. And I, I want people to start talking about it. This is amazing. And you've just helped me realize something that I don't think I had the words for until now. People who know me know I'm an avid gardener. And that doesn't mean I'm great at it, but I'm, I, I avidly do it. <laughs> and I didn't have the words to describe why. And I really think a component of it is the wonder and the awe that I can take a seed that was in my father's freezer for 12 years and I can give it some love and attention. And about four months later, it will be on my dinner plate in a beautiful salad. And see, that- and to, that's it. And to yeah. be able to, to see that. And I think some people feel that there used to be the belief that all was rare and fleeting. Like you mm. might just get lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only see the Grand Canyon for the first time once. Uh. But- What I want people to know is what you just so beautifully described, that awe can be found in the quotidian Mm. and should be. We should look for it in these small little ways. You know, Mm. is it in planting a seed and watching it germinate? Is it making bread and thinking, look Mm. at that science that makes it rise? What are these things? The droplet of of dew, anything that makes you recognize that you are just one piece of a bigger system. And in that self-transcendence, we become better people. Wow. Well, you are an international treasure put on the planet at the right time. I'm very excited for you. Thank you so much, <laughs> Donna. I am, I'm pretty excited now. I just have to write it. <laughs> That's right. Oh, that little thing. 
Well, hopefully you will remember the little people and we'll have you back on the me suite with the book launch and the big tour. So oh, please. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I won't take no for an answer. So in the me suite, we balance aspirational with practical. And I want to go back to your wonderful mantra, which is with better work comes a better world. What advice do you have for me, sweet listeners, of things that we could do differently on Monday to mm. have that better work for a better world? Yeah, absolutely. There are a few things. And I'm going to link these in a, in a way to some degree to my, my wonder at work philosophy, which is the first is, is wonder walks. Mm. Taking what makes, there's some fascinating research on what makes a wonder walk a wonder walk. Basically, you decide it is. So this sounds silly, <laughs> but... As simply as priming yourself that when I take this walk, I'm going to look for things that inspire a sense of wonder in me Mm. will drive better outcomes. And there was a piece of research where they even had people take selfies before a regular at the end of a regular walk and the end of a wonder walk. And the smiles were bigger. So people just by saying, I'm going to go out and find things that created me a sense of wonder. I believe that that's something that's a powerful tool that managers should be using with their teams. If you know that you have um, you know, a marathon day of Zoom calls, mm. have everybody schedule in a wonder walk in the middle of some two-hour meeting. Come back and tell us how that made you feel. So I think that any way that you can weave the conversation of, of wonder into your work life is beneficial. One of the other things that I'm finding is there is a a real drive in particular when we're under stress towards what's called action bias. Okay. So this idea that um, as humans, we tend to respect leaders who move really quickly, Mm. even if that quick motion is not appropriate, even if in the end it turns out that it was a terrible decision, Mm -hmm. we still respect those leaders. And then also as individuals, when we're under stress, when there's a lot of uncertainty, like during a pandemic, we tend to want to be in action to prove that we know what's going on, right? Um, And to soothe us because it gives us a sense of control. Yeah. But what ends up happening is that creates a lot of stress for ourselves. It creates a lot of overwork for the people who work under us. And so one of the things that I'm trying to get people to do is to really look at the cadence of their behavior and the pace and try to slow down some of their decision-making. And in doing so, also try to send a message of vulnerability or of Uh. humanity to the staff that work for them. So one trick that I do is to just talk to every person on your team Mm -hmm. on a Monday and say, what can I take off your plate? So rather than saying, how are you doing? Uh Which always elicits a fine, right? You get fine. (laughs) Yeah, pretty predictable. Yeah. And then and then you wonder why they're losing their mind. Instead, say on Monday, what can I take from you? Wow. And that just assumes that already you have probably been engaging in an action bias way. They probably have too much. Just take something off of them. And then what you start to do is create that conversation with people about how it is that they can get greater support from you in something yeah. that I think is not being done enough. Yeah. I love both of these. Wonder walk and what can I take off your plate? Uh, can I be devil's advocate for just one moment about Please. the second one? Yes. How would that business leader then not fall victim to, because I took it off of Monica's plate, my plate just doubled and now I'm miserable? Yeah. Well, and that's and part <laughs> of it, right? Physician heal thyself. And so I think what really the, the successful application of that is that 
you're taking something off a plate and then you're actually examining it, whether it needed to be a priority. Yeah. So I think that it is a little bit like, you know, stuff rolling uphill. Yes. But then the obligation is to, to as a manager to say, then what actually just doesn't need to get done. But I fear that especially while we are still working remotely, because as managers, we can't pick up the spidey senses of like an eye roll or a sigh when you go to assign something to somebody and they just, you can tell in that moment they're overwhelmed. We can't pick up that stuff as well. Mm. And so we, I think we need to come in with an assumption that people are overworked and an assumption that they need some support. And, and until we have lots of evidence to the alternative. Okay. Love it. So a challenge to the listeners, I would love it if after this episode, you take a wonder walk and take a selfie and send it in to me in the me <laughs> suite. Let's get a little library of those things to share back to Monica. I would love that to happen. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. And oh, Monica, you are wonderful. And I really appreciate you joining us in the me suite. And I have learned so much. This is Monica Parker, everybody. Thank you so much, Donna. It was lovely chatting with you. Thank you for joining us in the Me Suite. For executive and career coaching services, contact me, Donna Peters, at themesuite.com, LinkedIn, and Twitter. The website is the-me-suite.com. Suite is spelled like executive suite. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps us continue to shine a mic on more amazing people.